coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I want to be the guy when people hear this, like, man, I'm, I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm not going to wait for just this magical thing to take place. And I'm as fit and strong, as healthy as I've ever been in my life. Like you're the only person that can make that happen. Like no one can do it for you. And the number of people that have reached out and like, Hey, I would like to come train with you. I'd like to do this. I would like to make the same decision to do this. Like, that's great. Do it. You don't need me. You don't need me. Like there are way better people on earth that can help push you more than I can. But if you heard something that I said, or, you know, some comment that I made here or there, or listen to an interview that I did and that pushing, it was all worth it because I was very thankful to have the people come around me and push me in the right direction. But ultimately it was me that had to make that decision and kind of buy in and, and do the work that it was going to take and be very patient because it does not happen overnight. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed three-time PGA Tour winner, Scott Stallings. He's been on tour for 11 years, and we discussed his path to the PGA Tour along with his health journey on how he lost over 50 pounds while being on tour. We also discussed how he stays healthy while traveling, also his fasting and eating routine, how to keep his mental edge while being on tour, and his recovery methods to stay in shape. Lastly, we touch on his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. I really enjoyed my interview with Scott. I know you will too. And thanks so much for listening and enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I got a great guest on today, Scott Stallings. Uh, he's 11 years on the PGA Tour and a three-time PGA Tour winner. And uh, he's a health nut too, which is great. That's why I got him on. So thanks for coming on, Scott. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So and there's a lot of directions I thought about taking this and I, I figured we'd start off, perhaps uh, give us a little background, your path to the PGA tour and then sort of your journey, uh, your health and wellness journey. Um, and so everyone can sort of uh, learn and understand that. Okay. Well, I, I grew up, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts and grew up in East Tennessee. I played college golf at Tennessee tech and graduated 2007. I kind of, hemmed and hawed on the mini tours for about 18 months or so out of school. I played what's now the corn fairs and nationwide tour when I played in 2010. Mm -hmm. And then I just started my 11th year on the PGA tour. And uh, it's been a unique journey and kind of two separate parts of a career. And, um, you know, a lot of it associated with kind of my health side and kind of the different things kind of went through with that. Mm -hmm. And, that's been uh, pretty unique. Um, I'm sure we'll kind of get into some yeah. more specifics as we go on, but you know, at one point in my career, I was, you know, 250 plus pounds and, um, I am not that anymore. <laughs> uh, and you know, I had a lot of really good people come around me and kind of push me in the right direction and help me make better decisions and kind of learn, you know, what my version of health looked like. And, um, made some mistakes, uh, learned a lot through the process and continually trying to surround myself with people that are, you know, smarter and way more knowledgeable in the areas and, you know, try to you know, pick their brains anytime I can and, uh, more opportunities to do things like this, to try to, you know, give people an opportunity to learn from the mistakes that I made and, and kind of 
you know, push people in the right direction, especially, I mean, it's New Year's Eve when we're, I don't know when this is coming out, but, um, you know, there, there's no time like the present. And I always hear these comments of, oh, I'm going to wait to this. I'm going to wait to this. Like, let's not wait for anything. Like tomorrow's not promised. Uh, you know, people don't know how bad they feel until they know how good they can feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you take care of your body and kind of, you know, treat it the right way, it's amazing what it's truly capable of. And uh, I'm a true testament to that. And, um, you know, it's been, you know, ignorance is not an excuse. And I was uh, extremely negligent in a lot of areas and uh, learned a lot through the whole thing and uh, thankful to kind of come out on the other side and have opportunities to have conversations like this. Yeah. And, and, and your story um, is a, a great one in the sense that right now, you probably weigh, I was looking at you like 195 right now. You're six feet tall, right? Yeah, I'm just under six feet. Uh, I got down really low. Um, the lowest I got was 177. Wow. And that was like, like <laughs> kind of like rail. Um, COVID was uh, good and bad, I guess. I mean, obviously it was detrimental and you know affected everyone and I don't want this to be a COVID conversation by any means but you know it was a great for training I mean I literally came out of it as strong as I've ever been in my entire life I had a great group of guys that I trained with kind of we just kind of quarantined amongst ourselves and I mean you know felt like I put on a significant amount of strength and a little bit of size as well not that that was necessarily the goal but you know we kind of got a chance to take yourself away from playing competing on tour um you know, I kind of found early in my career, like during the season, I gained weight in the last few seasons, I struggled to kind of keep weight on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're playing, you know, 30 weeks a year, you got to be diligent as far as understanding what that looks like. And I've always <laughs> never really dealt with that. But when I got below 180, that was the time I was like, all right, we need to kind of figure something out a little bit, kind of adjusted the way I trained and a little bit of the way that I ate. And kind of just to maintain, you know, that kind of like high 80s, low 90s is kind of like my sweet spot of where I feel my best. Right. Yeah, I think that's an important point is like, I was sort of the same way. I, I've never been like, you know, 250. I'm about, I'm 5'11". And I'm like, for me, a comfortable weight is right around 170. And, you know, everyone's a little bit different. But, you know, I've gotten up to like 185, as low as probably almost 160. And you sort of find that sweet spot where you feel like you have energy and you like, you don't look, you just, you know, you just look like not too thin, but not like, you know, you haven't overdone it or like bloated. Um, I would say going back to your health journey, you were, you know, over 250, what sort of clicked and, and um, to, to get into shape and what kind of things did you do like diet wise and workout wise to sort of help you, you know, get down to where you wanted to get? The biggest thing was I had a major, like I had complete sinus reconstruction in 2015 and kind of came from a, a myriad of doctor strips and this and that. And I ended up at an ENT's office and he did a CT scan of my sinus and he came up. He's like, you see this, if this was your heart, you'd be dead. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he said, you need surgery as fast as I can get you in the operating room. Mm. He said, it's going to take me about 45 minutes or an hour and it'll change your life. And he basically rotor-rooted my entire sinus cavity, my throat, my nose, everything in there, and just the ability to breathe. <clears throat> and, like, I was by no means some kind of, like, cardio, you know, I just endured it the best, the, the best way you possibly could. And just by the ability to breathe properly, my VO2 in just a very short amount of time increased by 20 points. 
And with, with not, I mean, I trained for sure, but just the ability to breathe and kind of process, you know, just any kind of, you know, cardiovascular stress and be able to kind of push it and push it and push it. So any kind of workout that's like, uh, you know, in that, you know, middle range, like, you know, high twenties to like low 40 minutes where you got to sit there and kind of endure through it. Like I do really well with those. And, um, that was kind of the, the first part, the surgery was the first part and then kind of diet and training and everything kind of followed along with that. What did you change in your diet? Uh, I did a little bit of everything. I did a food sensitivity. Um, and then I kind of did a little bit of the elimination. Um, I did like gluten, soy, dairy free for nine months and then try to reintroduce it. And, uh, I mean, I, I necessarily, I didn't necessarily like have a sensitivity to it. I just wanted to kind of start and kind of see what I felt best on and slowly, but surely figure it out. But had a really good buddy of mine, Rich Froning, uh, uh, you know, big in CrossFit. And he called me, um, this was December. Uh, so basically almost three years ago in 2017, maybe four years ago, when I, whenever it was. And he said, uh, I just started it with a diet group and I think you should give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, you're literally the fittest guy in the world. Why are you on a diet? He's like, well, I don't eat enough. Like I train too much. I don't eat enough. I like, I, I don't manage it. Like my body's gonna fall apart. And it's like, well, if you're on a diet, well, maybe I should probably be on a diet. <laughs> and he introduced me to the people from RP strength, uh, Renaissance periodization and, uh, Christian Carter, if you're out there watching this, thank you for everything. Never met him. Not oh. one time. Uh, I met Nick, uh, the CEO, the guy that kind of started the program and done a bunch of stuff with those guys, social media, but actually never physically met the guy that helped me through the whole process, Hmm. sent a picture with my shirt off and my weight for 51 straight weeks and never met the guy. (laughs) So he was incredibly helpful, you know, their diet templates and uh, just the uniqueness of what I do uh, on the road and off the road. Um, just with timing and understanding, you know, how to, you know, properly, you know, like kind of front load your day and kind of recover on the back end and understand just what that looks like day in, day out. And not one of my days on tour is the same. And just to try to, how to adjust different things. And, you know, they kind of went, you know, kind of pushed me in the right direction and kind of gave me a baseline of understanding, like, this is what nutrition looks like. And you know, kind of how to balance it from one end to the other. Yeah. You bring up a point regarding, you know, being on tour and traveling a lot. Um, what is, what is your key to eating well and traveling? Cause I think that can be difficult for a lot of people. <clears throat> I mean, I know on tour, I'm sure you guys, you know, have some, have some decent setups there, but in general, what, what do you do uh, when you're traveling and, and how do you maintain your health that way? Yeah. I give my wife and my kids a hard time. It's like, man, I eat way better on the road than I'm with, <laughs> with, I'm with you guys. Uh, like, my, temptation, I, I, yeah. yeah, we were just at the, um, I was talking before you started recording, we're at the beach with my kids. Uh, and I get a call. My, my kids know how to use the phone and get an idea. And they were like, Oh, we're going to the candy store. Do you want anything? I was like, no, don't like, just <laughs> don't. <laughs> yes, I do. But no, I don't. Right, right. And, but, um, I mean, I have a pretty regimented routine on the road and, you know, try to maintain And A lot of it depends on my playing schedule and my training schedule. You know, we don't really have a, a time to kind of criticize like any kind of strength training schedule. So you got to kind of have a, a microcosm of any kind of periodization schedule over the course of a year into a seven day period. 
which is super weird when you think about it. But with the fact of how much we play, how much we train, how much we travel, like, you know, it's not like, all right, we got a 12 week block we're about to go into and you're getting ready to play 10 of those 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of build it up and you know what facilities you're going to have access to and you kind of, you know, plan it out that way. So their team and the group of guys that I work with, like we could tell you like, this week when I'm, I'm down here, you know, my facilities are limited and you were kind of make do with what we have and you know, kind of build the training around that. But next week when I go to South Florida to practice, I know I have basically unlimited training resources. So you kind of build it up and understand what you're going into and diet's the same way. Like right. kind of know my, my basics, you know, whole foods, Trader Joe's sprouts and, uh, you know, kind of eating around. I stay in a lot of houses on the road and try to have as much control as I possibly can. Um, but traveling, uh, last year I started, um, being really dialed into like when I'm actually physically traveling, um, and, uh, intermittent fast on the days that I travel and I don't eat, I don't eat from the time that I leave my house to the time I get to my destination. And, uh, it's one liter of water per hour of traveling. I mean, just, I don't think people right. understand the, the detriment and like, as far as traveling, I try to get to, it's not as easy as, or I don't do as well as I would like, but especially when you, you change time zones by more than a couple hours, I try to give myself an extra day to get acclimated, to try to get on that time period. And I traveling to that, I do the intermittent and like traveling back, especially overseas, as soon as I'm done with the event, I start operating on the time where I'm going next. Mm. And just to where you don't have that lag time of where you're kind of walking around like a zombie. I remember in Malaysia a couple of years ago, I was literally in the gym at like one thirty in the morning because right. I had like a 6 a.m. flight and I was trying to turn myself back over to get back on Eastern time. And That's not I remember telling the guy at the hotel, "Is like I need to go in there. <laughs> like, Open it's it up. in the morning. He's like, I need to do this. He's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> but just like little tricks like that. And I didn't, I didn't figure that out on my own. I had a bunch of people come around me. I have a great doctor, uh, Dr. Kevin Sprouse that kind of helps evaluate a bunch of different things. And he does a bunch of stuff in endurance sports and, um, you know, kind of a, a great resource to have as far as let's try this and understanding health and nutrition and, re- and how it relates to performance on the golf course and, you know, kind of in the gym and just regular daily life as well. Yeah. I love how you bring up fasting when you're traveling is something I talk about because a lot of times for most people, first of all, they don't eat really good foods when they're traveling. Um, and whether it's airplane food or wherever, or, you know, they're, even if they're driving, cause I know a lot of people are driving now. Um, I always say fasting is such a great thing to do and it all, it, it's good for the body to heal and recover and, and like you said, more importantly is being hydrated when you're traveling it takes a toll on you. Right. Yeah. I think it's definitely underappreciated the value of like proper hydration, especially when you're in the air or just yeah. general, just, you know, like, well, I'm not doing anything, but I think it's also a good like mental challenge too, to just see like, I'm going to, you know, and you, know, you kind of, I base my travel off of that too. Not necessarily like, hey, I'm going to try to get there as fast as I can so I can eat something, but a little bit of it, like I don't want to put myself in like a horrible spot either. You know, so I pick my flights differently and, and kind of look at it just a little bit different and kind of know that, all right, when I get there, you know, I'm going to go straight here. I'm going to knock my workout out and then, you know, go right to grab something to eat. So 
especially for like longer, like East coast to West coast travel, I will always do some type of like kind of low intensity cardio, like in that like 30, 45 minute window and kind of just shake off the travel and then go right into kind of getting myself acclimated to the time zone that I'm on. And when you're not playing during your off weeks, um, what type of, what's your fasting schedule like then? Um, and what, what, what's your eating window? Yeah, I, I try ideally intermittent three, three days a week and predominantly Wednesdays, uh, I was talking about the kind of our training schedule. Wednesday is our kind of cardio interval, uh, day and like fasting cardio is no matter in, in week, in term of week, off week, whatever, that's kind of one of the most important days as far as the metabolic reset, as far as our tournaments are Thursday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's great to kind of reset and kind of get the mind, everything, mind, body and everything reset and going right into it. And I will predominantly do that always early in the morning on Wednesdays. So I can have a full feeding window going right into a tournament mm-hmm. and I'm not at a detriment uh, to you know, when I have to play the next day, but it's a, a little bit of mental, a little bit of physical, a little bit of uh, physiological. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of benefits on all sides. And um, I messed around with intermittent every single day. And I just found that through the course of the long, especially in the summertime and off weeks, like when the, it was playing and practicing and training, like it, I did not feel the way that I wanted to feel in an off week. I kind of felt like I felt worse after an off week than I did, you know, during the, the week of a tournament where I would just do it the first couple of days of the week and, you know, a little bit of a reset, especially when I travel. So I kind of keep the same kind of mentality when I'm at home as well. Yeah. I mean, people who aren't golfers, I don't think understand, like, I mean, I play competitively, but more on like an amateur scale, but like one or two days of tournament golf takes a lot out of you. And, you know, you got four days. I always say like, I think that's the the toughest thing. I don't know what your thought is on that. Like just four days of competitive golf um, and just keeping your mind right throughout those four days. It it just makes those off days so much more important. So you're ready to go. Yeah. I think everyone sees Thursday through Sunday. And if that's all we had to do, people would play every week. I don't think people see the travel or the practice or the prep or pro-ams and that like yeah just you know a week i had a friend of mine come and travel me for a week he's like i cannot believe you do this 30 weeks a year Mm. i mean he's like thursday morning we're going to the course and he's just kind of hanging out with me for the week and he's like i'm exhausted and we haven't even gotten through the first round (laughs) (laughs) and i was like you're not doing a thing (laughs) so uh but you know but golfers are the real athletes (laughs) <laughs> well let me tell you people, people, people that are not watching this i that was very sarcastic <laughs> if you could not hear it in my voice <laughs> let me tell you i mean you got to be i mean nowadays you, there's probably more guys in better shape in golf than ever before right i mean i mean this was a trend i mean i know you're a tiger woods fan from back i mean i'm 40 you're 35 so we sort of grew up during the same time and i mean tiger and like vj singh those guys you know gary player obviously for a while those guys sort of brought fitness to golf you know yeah, for sure. And I mean, now, whether they look like it or not, everyone's doing something. You know, just the, the way the game's played and just the evolution of fitness and golf and kind of how it's all progressed. And, you know, they might kind of, I don't know, play it off or whatever, but everybody's doing something. You cannot have the, you know, 
asymmetrical movement, the volume of times that we have throughout the season and not do something to try to take care of yourself. That guy that's like, oh, I don't do anything. I mean, he's not going to do it for very long. I mean, your body's going to completely fall apart. Right. And, you know, just to go ahead and see. But everybody's trying to do something. You know, people kind of find the, you know, what works best for them. I mean, the way that I train is probably a lot different than the way a bunch of other guys on tour train. But I feel like that's when I feel my best. And, you know, a lot of it's on the mental side as well. Like mm-hmm. golf is very long. It's very slow. You know, involves a lot of patience and which is great and you kind of know that going into it but that is complete polar opposite of my personality mm-hmm. so you know the idea of some higher intensity stuff and kind of mixing in just hey i can go do the same workout and just change up the variations and get a completely different result or outcome is something that i like to kind of gamify it a little bit and make it where just to figure out all right well i did this this way let me try it this this time and, and kind of see what what kind of effect I get out of it better worse or indifferent and you know try to figure it out from that perspective yeah you speak about the mental side what type of things do you do because like you said with golf you got to have patience I mean I can't imagine your rounds I don't know what the average round on tour is probably five and a half longer than longer than they say they are (laughs) I was gonna say five and a half hours I don't know it probably depends right like it's a major I'm sure it lasts longer uh more difficult golf course and things like that but what kind of things do you do on the mental side uh, when you're not playing or when you are playing to sort of help you get through? Uh, I mean, a little bit of it is focus on the things you can control. And that's like, I mean, I'm not trying to be cliche, but that's truly it. And mm. ultimately, like I've got a, a, some different sayings that I kind of stick with. And I mean, you have two things you control every single day, your attitude and your effort. And I mean, if that's truly the way that you approach every and all situation, you're going to be all right. And like yeah, my like seven that. year old, I, I have a seven year old son and he, you know, he'll start complaining about something. I was like, how's your attitude? And he's like, I don't want to hear about my attitude right now. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, are you like, are you trying to achieve something, you know, for a, for a greater outcome or a different outcome because you're not happy with the current state of things. Mm-hmm. And like, I think people are waiting for that, like magical fairy to show up and like fairy godmother, like, boom, like all your problems are fixed. And like, man, it, unfortunately it doesn't work out like that. And, you know, people kind of sitting back on their hands and we'd start talking about that before you started recording. Like I, I want to be the guy when people hear this, like, man, I'm, I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm not going to wait for just this magical thing to take place. And I'm as fit and as strong, as healthy as I've ever been in my life. Like you're the only person that can make that happen. Like no one can do it for you. And the number of people that have reached out and like, Hey, I would like to come train with you. I'd like to do this. I would like to make the same decision to do this. Like, that's great. Do it. You don't need me. You don't need me. Like there are way better people on earth that can help push you more than I can. But if you heard something that I said, or, you know, some comment that I made here or there, or listen to an interview that I did and that pushing, it was all worth it because I was very thankful to have the people come around me and push me in the right direction. But ultimately it was me that had to make that decision and kind of buy in and, and do the work that it was going to take and be very patient because it does not happen overnight. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, you talk about your journey, you lost, let's just say you lost 50 plus pounds. You know, it probably took you a while to put that weight on. And some people think that they can just take it off in like six months or a year. 
they don't realize. I always ask, you know, how long did it take you to put, it took them maybe decades to put that weight on. I said, you, you know, it's going to take you maybe not decades, but it's going to take you time to get it off, especially if you want to do it the right way. You know, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing is what I tell people a lot is I was playing when I did it. It's not like I took six months off from the tour and like, I'm going to go figure this out. It's like, I was, yeah. I mean, probably in some ways it was a detriment in some ways it was a huge positive. <laughs> I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I can look at it both two different ways, but I think there's a lot of different things that go about it. But like, I was actually playing on the PGA tour going through this, you know, trying to understand macronutrients and <laughs> all these other things. So like, Oh, I got to look at, all right, this is this day. All right. I got to make sure I map it out and kind of go from there. And um, I think the biggest thing is like, when any person gets into kind of a, you know, dietary or like nutrition consulting is like, they end up eating significantly more than they think they are because like ultimately it all comes down to math and understanding caloric deficit and output and everything like that. But also when you operate at such a deficit for so long, eventually like you just get in this holding mode where you just can't shed anything. And your body's going to take into it any and hold on to anything you put into it. So you see those like crash diets and whatever. And that's why you see these people do these like huge ebbs and flows instead of something that's actually sustainable. Right. What, what I know there's a lot of different camps now, keto camps, carnivore camps. Things like that. Is there a certain camp that you like, or, you know, that you found is right for your body? Um, or do you have your own camp? <laughs> I would say I'm strong in the meat camp. Uh, I'm not carnivore. I mean, I'm, I love a steak. I love cooking. I love grilling. I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would not say the idea of carnivore sounds great just to try it, but I'm sure after like a week, I'd be like, all right, I'm over this. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not a keto at all. I do high fat, which is probably surprising to a lot of people, okay. but um, that was kind of something that uh, the RP guys just a little bit from a cognitive side, I'd say high fat relative to like normal baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, definitely nowhere near though in the keto world by, by any means. I'm moderate, I, I'm moderate carb, but mm-hmm. predominantly most carbs, like through the first part of my day, I guess you'd say mm-hmm. you front load it, okay. but I'd say the most important thing that I do is, especially on the road is the, like your last meal. And I started messing around with like some sleeping recovery stuff as far as trying to, whether it was carbohydrates or fat or sugars or kind of whatever, and kind of had to find that perfect go-to meal before you went to bed. Mm-hmm. And I started messing around with it with some of the people from Whoop that, you know, do all the sleeping recovery aspects of what we do. And uh, it was crazy to see. Yeah, how, so just, how, how it, how it affected your sleep, what you ate and then what time you ate as well. Right. For, for sure. Yeah. And I kind of built this little routine of what I was doing. If I knew when I was going to go to bed, like having the, the most consistent time in bed and time awake, you know, consistent, especially for people who have, you know, similar work schedule and stuff, it's pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, more often when you're going to go to sleep and more often when you're going to come up, like wake up, and kind of filling in that perfect gap of like cold shower, food, teeth brush, lights out everything. And man, I started seeing my rim and my slow wave, my deep sleep just drastically recover. And you hear people like you're eating like high fat yogurt and carbs, like right before you go to bed. We're like, yes, 
I am. And when I wake up in the morning, I could literally lift and pick up my house. <laughs> like just waking up and just feeling like I could run through a brick wall. So you talk about uh, like a night routine. Um, and I think it's so important for people to get quality sleep. And like you said, using the whoop uh, band, which I actually just got, we could talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, having that, <clears throat> that, that night routine, what now, when you talk about eating and, and what time you stop eating. Cause for me, I had a CGM for a while, like a continuous glucose monitor. I just wanted to see where, where my levels were at is, um, I found that if I w finished eating earlier, it helped my sleep. Um, is that something that you found as well? Uh, and do you, do you have a certain time that you sort of cut it off? Yeah, there's definitely a certain time that I cut it off, but I think, and it also goes into the volume of what you've eating, but I think, mm -hmm. and I, I am way more diligent on this on the road because more than likely I have trained and I have practiced. So that means probably, you know, 60, 90 minutes in the gym and then a full day of playing and practicing. I mean, your caloric burn and output for the day is just, I mean, you're almost, unless you just, I mean, you have to try very hard to just match up what you output for the day. So that last meal is a little, and you're not waking up in the morning, like ready to eat your pillow. <laughs> Cause that's what I was struggling with. Like really? I couldn't like, I couldn't stay asleep cause I kept waking up like I'm starving. So they kind of adjusted a little bit of some of the stuff that I was doing. And I, I started adding that in and started seeing significantly improved sleep throughout, but routines, everything. Mm -hmm. understanding like what you do when you wake up, what you do when you go to bed. Um, like I struggle a little bit with some supplementation stuff early in the day. So my first cup of coffee is literally a delivery mechanism is mm -hmm. <laughs> I have everything set up. I get it in there, you know, a little bit of collagen, a little bit of creatine, glutamine and everything. And I just literally, sure. and then, I mean, if you're, if people aren't coffee people, it, it's just kind of whatever they can build in their routine where they know they're going to kind of get it in. It doesn't matter how you do it. It's just kind of making sure you ability to put it in there. So you talk about more, well, you talk about morning routines. I'm a big morning ritual guy. Um, and I, I noticed you added in there, you you do a cold shower. So some, uh, cold therapy, which I love. I've gotten into cold plunging. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I did one last night. I haven't done it in a while. And in Chicago in the winter, it's not always, you're not always like, Oh, I want to do this because it's, you know, really cold outside. It, but um, do you do any cold plunging? You, you, you mentioned cold showers. Um, I do. Sure I, do. I, have yeah. a, I have a horse trough in, in my barn, in my gym. Oh. I've got an industrial ice machine. And if I was home more, like I would buy the freezer tub and everything mm -hmm. and do it. Um, I just don't want to have to basically start it and start it, you know, kind of stop and start it coming in and out from being on the road. And right. uh, that's the best. Uh, one of the best, I've ever fell is with my buddy Josh Bridges in uh, San Diego. He has a barrel sauna and he has a freezer tub right beside each other. And we did some contrast mm -hmm. and I had a red eye flight. And I literally, when I landed from my red eye from San Diego back to the East coast, I was like, I literally texting him. was like, what did we just do? This is the best I've ever felt off a of red eye. Yeah. And we basically did 200 degree barrel sauna intervals with one minute, like cold plunge and like, it was like water was like 34 degrees. We're just sitting there and just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, man, it was incredible. So that's the most ideal. That's like the, the unicorn, but right. you know, if you could try to find it, uh, you know, I prefer cold better than hot. Mm -hmm. uh, I do like hot, but 
there's a lot of times, especially where we play is predominantly more on the warmer side than the cooler side. Right. So cold's a nice contrast from when I'm in an everyday basis. I don't want to sweat for eight hours and then go do it again. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the contrast is a great thing. If, and I always say like cold therapy, I mean, <clears throat> you could just do a cold shower. Um, <clears throat> I just was reading a Wim Hof's book, even just like f- at the end of the shower, 15 seconds um, of just, and, and it helps you sort of, you talk about breathing. You got to really breathe through the cold. Um, mm-hmm. so if you want to learn how to breathe, that's one way of doing it. It's just get, get, get really cold. <laughs> yeah. And just put your head, like, just don't like, don't be the guy that's like dipping his toe in the water. Just mm-hmm. get in there. Right. The fat, the faster you learn how to deal with it and you, you'll figure out what kind of mood you're in, especially if that's how you start your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to Will Ahmed from uh, whoop and he started talking about, he just took cold showers all the time. And he's like, I just figured out real quick earlier in the day, like what was going to be my attitude, like adjustment for the day. And I just turned that water on and got in there and I was just ready to deal with anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about recovery. Um, I think nowadays there's more recovery devices coming out every day. Um, I noticed with you, with the whoop, I, I, I just got one. I'm two, I'm two days into it. So, um, you're great. You're a gray man. What's that? So all your numbers are gray for like the first five days. Mm. And, and, you know, people see like my posts and like they're different colors and this is like, why am I gray? It's just calibrating and kind of figuring it out. So use yeah. the journal, man. The, the journal is the best feature they have. Yeah. Just notice that. Yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta take a look at that. Um, and I'm sure as I go along, I'll, 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 I'll have questions and I'll learn how to, you know, use it more and more to my advantage. What about, uh, I noticed those power dots, um, maybe speak on that as far as recovery. It's great, man. Uh, it's super mobile. It's, you know, you can do it anywhere, uh, to any part of your body and super easy to travel with. You know, it's muscle like muscle yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's different programs. Uh, basically they have, you know, kind of preemptory, you know, kind of before training and then after training and then the kind of injury prevention they have, a or basically injury recovery. Um, mm-hmm. and they have some different programs that you can do and you can create your own as well. Like mm-hmm. I have one, um, just from the constant rotation, I've got one that I put on my hip Okay. and like, I do it all the time <laughs> and your super left easy hip? to travel with your my right hip. hip, your right hip. Okay. My left uh-huh. hip is both. <laughs> I'm a righty, but yeah. my left hip. So you're, so you're a slider. Most, most left hip guys with left hips, they slide through the hit instead of rotate on it. Okay. And so you're either a slider or a rotator, you know, you're one or the other. So, right. I, so, so your left hip slides mm-hmm. and then you kind of swoop around it. And that's why you're, you know, you actually don't get the left hip out of the way. So you're actually, you know, you're kind of tilting into it. And that's why most people, you can tell which hip bothers the right, no matter what side golfer you, what side you play. Yeah. You can tell what a person's golf swing is by which hip bothers them. <laughs> well, I've been trying That's to it. get rid of that slide for a while. <laughs> so when you said I'm a slider, I'm like, God dang. Um, I've been working on that for a while. Um, but I have added some rotation in. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, what I think I've learned, at least for me, because uh, there's a lot of ways to swing it. And there's sliders mm-hmm. on tour, right? And there's guys that rotate. Oh, 100%. You know, mm-hmm. guys like Dustin who just freakishly rotate and Joachim Neiman, guys like that, that just, it's unbelievable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You sort of got guys that are in between too. You know, I would probably say you're maybe more of a tweener. 
Or would you mm-hmm. say I, yeah. I push out of the ground a lot? So that's why I like that vertical force, mm-hmm. like shooting out of the ground. And I can uh, right just over three X my body weight at the hip, but that puts a lot of pressure on, a little bit on my low back and just kind of the way that I create power. You know, someone that, you know, relatively average to slightly above average club head speed, I can still hit it out there based on the way that I deliver through the hit, you know, you know, ball speeds and, you know, distance and stuff that's, you know, kind of in that whatever, you know, slightly above average or whatever. Yeah. And I think this is a way to kind of optimize the way through the hit, but power dot is a huge part of that. Uh, and, you know, they're great to have as a partner and kind of come alongside. And I think more and more guys have realized like, you know, I've done it on airplanes. I've done it in cars. I've done it basically everywhere you can think of and pull that thing out and get the person sitting beside you on the airplane. Like what in the world is this guy doing? Yeah. (laughs) So, well, you know, like those wands, those, um, gosh, what, um, hypervolt. I use that Mm -hmm. one. I love the portability. I think like, especially for you, right? Like all the travel, like if you can have these little portable devices that you can bring, I know there's a few different companies, obviously not just, um, the hypervolt, just for i like i love using it just right before i'm playing you know just to get moving yeah hyper ice just became an official partner in the tour so they're nice to have them on and, oh. and they have their pro their products everywhere at every single event so it's nice yeah. to have them along for the ride yeah no um i love that my hypervolt um maybe speak on um i know this probably gets brought up a lot it's interesting and I could talk about the tour for a long time, but, uh, DeChambeau, we talk about, you know, us, you know, losing weight. Um, and it's interesting with him putting on weight like that and generating all this speed. Do, do you, do you see yourself? And I'm not saying you putting on weight, but like, do, do you see more guys trying to chase speed? Oh man, it's the, it's the new thing on tour. Everyone trying to figure out, you know, cause you know, the closer you are to the green, the more opportunities you have to hit it closer. And, you know, then it becomes, comes the analytics thing. And, you know, that's become a huge, a huge part of the game. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, everyone has their own choices as far as how they go about doing it. He's found tremendous success and, you know, uh, an opportunity to do things that no one's ever seen before in the world of golf. Um, just as far as some of the distance stuff to be able to play it at that high of a level, um, the sustainability of that would be potentially a concern, but right now he's been great major champion and, um, still got a chip and putt, right? (laughs) It's very, Hey, but I mean, basically he almost led the tour in strokes game putting last year. So that's what people don't think. I mean, you're gaining almost two shots. You're almost gaining two shots around putting like Mm -hmm. it. And you can hit it three (laughs) fifty. Like the game's not, the game's not very hard. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to win. He's going to, he's going to compete for a long time as long as he stays healthy and you know, a, a place like Augusta, obviously it'll be a, I think a place he could win a few times if he keeps it up. You know? Um, what, what would you say some of the, uh, most fit guys on tour are, if you say, um, if you have to pick a handful of them, I think a lot of it depends on what your definition of fitness is. I've trained yeah. with Rory. I've trained with Camillo. Um, Never trained with Tiger. Uh, I've talked to Tiger a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just determines on whatever, like, I mean, it, it, cardiovascular endurance, Camilo Vajegas. I mean, he would right. like to go ride his bike around the whole state of Florida. Like, I <laughs> I don't want to do that. 
Right. Me neither. Um, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but just different things like that. But there's some other guys that have your know, really cool fitness stories. Uh, Morgan Hoffman, you know, battling muscular dystrophy and just kind of how you go and compete against the best players in the world while battling just a completely debilitating disease yeah. and, you know, managing that. So, I mean, his health and wellness story is uh, pretty remarkable and just all the different things that he's had to deal with um, and yeah. going about doing it. So, I think it determines what your definition of fitness is. Right. Uh, obviously, Dustin is incredibly, you know, super athletic. Brooks is super strong. Um, I think it just determines on what, you know, I would say my definition of fitness is a little bit different than others. Um, right. But I, I'm not great at anything, but I'm pretty good at a lot. I, I guess that's what you, I don't want to, I just don't want to put myself in a situation where I couldn't go into a, some kind of fitness environment and not just like, I'm not saying Excel, but just kind of hold my own. Right. And whether we're going to go run, we're going to go ride a bike. Uh, I have other things that I would prefer to do, Yes. but I would say more often than not, the thing I'm probably not the best at is gymnastics movements, a little bit of concern just for shoulder and different things like that. And then man, my swimming sucks. <laughs> like absolutely sucks. <laughs> um, so, and I think that's a little bit of just opportunity and, you know, just, I would prefer to run and, and do different things like that from a cardio perspective than go try to figure out where I'm going to go swim. Yeah. And I think when you talk about golf and fitness, um, I think it's sort of, you're walked that fine line between being strong, mobile, um, and having speed. Um, like for me, I've always been in the lift, lifting weights and I always felt like I didn't want to get my chest like crazy. I always was like a lower body guy just because, you know, not that you can't play well with like a bigger chest, but you know, it sort of can, it could perhaps prohibit you from swinging the way you want to swing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think all that kind of stuff goes with, you know, personal preference and, yeah. um, uh, I've kind of gone through some stuff through this off season, kind of found some different things. I tore cartilage in five of my ribs in 2012 and never recovered, never properly healed them correctly. So I have a ton of right bend in my swing. Um, and basically I thought that was some hip mobility issues, some different things kind of go about it, basically the way that I was training, but come to find out that there was so much scar tissue built up in my ribs, excuse me, mm -hmm. and trying to get into my lats that when I would come down to swing, I would basically go in protection mode throughout so uh, that's been some interesting therapy sessions yeah. to have that all kind of dug out and to see the rotation and kind of the way that my backswing kind of delivers in there and you, know, you kind of learn to train around that and um and kind of build up some some more opportunity to get your body in a position where you can deliver the club the most consistently and you hear guys train all different ways and you know everyone made that big deal about when brooks won the u.s open he's like well i bench press, you know, whatever, 225 so many times. They're like, you did that and like, the morning up. And that's what worked that that's what works for him. Yeah. Like I mean the guy won four majors, like, why are we knocking that? Like right. to each his own, man. Let's if that's what works best for him and he goes out there and performs at a high level, like what does it matter how he trains? And um, you know, you can say the same thing about a bunch of different guys out there. What would you say, um, just a few more questions, what would you say sets apart um, some of the guys that are just winning majors as opposed to some of the guys that maybe, you know, what's the difference, would you say? I know that's sort of a broad question. You talk about mental or short game. 
Is there something that like you try to own in to try to excel? And, and I know it's like a, such a small margin between being whatever, 200 in the world and being number six in the world. There's such a small margin. What do you think that is? Uh, opportunity when you get a chance, uh, like taking full advantage of it and understanding that, you know, this, this is around where things are doing this and things are doing that and understanding that just because you can doesn't mean you should. But when you do have the opportunity, the ability to kind of step up there and execute. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a stat. I got a, just a, a couple more minutes before I got to yeah. hop off here. I got, I've got to run around my kids. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. My but, dog, my dog is like bothering yeah. me too. So we're good. yeah, we got, uh, I've finished, this was two years ago. I finished exactly a hundredth on the FedEx cup list, like mm-hmm. 100 in, into the playoffs. I was number a hundred and I met with the stats guy in analytics and he started telling me this number. He's like, I'm gonna tell you one number, mm-hmm. 58. I'm like, man, that's a great score. He said, that's the margin of error that you had for the year. 58 shots. He said, 29 shots better. You are in the tour championship, 29 shots worse. You'd lose your job. Wow. That's that was over the course of that was over the course of 31 tournaments. Wow. So 50. <laughs> yeah. Based right. off of what I was, 29 shots better, I would have made the tour championship. 29 shots worse, I lost my job. Yeah, and then if you divide that by how many rounds you played, right? It, Correct. Point whatever per round, right? Yeah, really, really unique margin of error. So a, a cool way to look at it, but also like you're every round, you're kind of on a knife's edge. So you see all these analytics of trying to gain here and do this and that and kind of match it up as, I mean, you can see how you kind of get yourself down a rabbit hole real quick. Oh yeah. No, I see that. Um, well, I'll, 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 we'll leave with this one last question. Um, what would you say to individuals, uh, maybe middle-aged individuals, you know, people like myself and yourself, even though I don't really consider I'm, I'm not middle-aged quite yet. Well, 40, but, um, if they wanted to get their bodies back, you know, like you sort of hedge, have your own story. Let's say, you know, some, you see this a lot. People get kids, they get busy. What, what, what one tip would you give to that individual to try to get their bodies back to what it once was maybe, you know, 10, 15 years ago, make one better decision and start building off of it. Hmm. And I think people take these, especially, I mean, no more important than now, uh, being right. that we're New Year's Eve going in and it's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then they make something that should be encouraging, super detrimental. And it's like, I, I can't even do this. Like right. I'm going to, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to train every day. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. And it's like, <laughs> next thing you know, like you're two days in, you're like, I hate my life. And instead of, man, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, I'm going to try to drink this much water a day. And that's what right. I'm going to focus on. I'm going to start building that habit, building that habit. The next thing you know, you start building off. It was like, well, because of this, then I could go to bed and I slept a little better. Then they start to go, well, I slept a little better. So then I can wake up a little bit earlier and I can go to, I can go to the gym before I go to work. And it all starts to cascade upon that instead of the opposite. When you just build this impossible challenge of Mm -hmm. this whole life overhaul on top of your just your normal everyday life. And I think that's where people kind of get in their own way and make one better decision, build off of that and kind of take it from there. Yeah. I love that. I have this little uh, tab on my computer. It says one thing at a time, because I think when you get caught up in a bunch of different things, nothing gets done. Right. And you can equate that to golf, right? Like you see guys go in circles where they want to do this, then they do this, then they, and then they change and do something like, like pick one thing, get good at it. Right. Like you said, whether it's health or golf. And then once you got that, then move on to the next thing and you'll start seeing results. 
hundred percent, man. I think people, you know, try to make it harder than it really is and, uh, you know, be super diligent, be very patient and, you know, find a good crew of people around you to kind of keep you accountable and help pushing you in the right direction. Yeah. I love that. Well, Scott, this was great. My first golfer on the, on the podcast. So thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. We'll keep putting that good word out and uh, yeah. hopefully we'll do it again sometime. But uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, that'd be fun. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.